Uh, we have come to the end of our series on Psalms of Lament. And some of you are thinking, oh, hang on. Another week, uh, I'll, I'll be in depression already. <laughs> okay, so we are, today we are looking at praying in darkness. Psalm 88, let's pray. Father, I pray that you will speak to us. Uh, you comfort those who are afflicted. Help us to see your light in darkness because Jesus, you are light of the world. Help us to hear your voice in silence. Because you are the one who created ex nihilo out of nothing. You said, and there was. And so we commit the time to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Jared Wilson, he tweeted this, Loving Jesus doesn't always cure suicidal thoughts. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure depression. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure PTSD. But that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't offer us companionship and comfort. He always does that. Kay Warren, the wife of Rick Warren, who wrote Purpose Driven Life, responded, praying, Jared, her devastated family needs so much tenderness and compassion right now. Grateful for your willingness to be the arms of Jesus to them. You know, the Warrens lost their son in 2013 to suicide. And the day that Jared Wilson posted this, it was because he officiated a funeral of a sister who killed herself. Jared Wilson is a gifted preacher. He is the associate pastor of a mega church in California, the heir apparent, the next-gen pastor. Um, he even started an organization called um, Anthem of Hope to help people with depression, suicidal thoughts, and other mental wellness issues. Frequently, he would put on such posts on social media, you know, sharing his own depression, struggles with depression, but always pointing people to Jesus. Now, unfortunately, a few months after he made that tweet earlier, in September 10th, 2019, Jared Wilson killed himself. He struggled with depression and he eventually succumbed to the darkness in his life. On his funeral, his senior pastor, Greg Lowry, said, Sometimes when we face such situations, we don't know what to say. We run out of words. Sometimes we look at pastors and spiritual leaders and we think that they are above the struggles and pain of the everyday person. It's as if they have all the answers. But the reality is, we do not. You're just like everyone else. We need the grace and strength of God each and every day. Suicide. You know, it's not a topic that we commonly talk about in churches. But it happens. How should we respond? Years ago, when I was in the U.S., you know, I have a church member, a long-time member. He waited till his kids went away for church retreat and his wife went out of state. He bought a big tarp, like a carpet, put it in his backyard, sat in the middle of it, and then blew his head out. You know, it was really considerate for the people who will pack up his body. You know, just roll up the carpet, tarp out, and you're done. But he left behind a trail of tears, questions, guilt, pain. You know the leading cause of death for youth in Singapore? Suicide. And our government agencies have, are concerned, alarmed by this trend and have put concerted efforts to reverse the trend. And we know it doesn't just hit young people. 
but people of all ages, all backgrounds, right? We have Kate Spade, the well-known fashionista, Anthony Bourdain, his own talk show, but they took their own lives. So clearly, celebrity, fame, money doesn't seem to help. Now, to be clear, my talk today is not on suicide, but I have a few things I need to clarify. I think firstly, sometimes you have this notion, you know, if you kill yourself, you cannot go to heaven. I think that's not biblically correct. What is the condition? There's only one condition for us to go to heaven. What is it? Whether we are born again because we have placed our faith in Jesus. When we stand before God, whether the blood of Christ covers us, not how we die. But you know, suicide is still a sin. We have no right to take a life, only God does. Whether it's someone else's or our own. Secondly, if there's some of us who are struggling, if you are struggling, don't give up. Reach out to somebody. With Jesus, there's always hope. Just reach out to somebody beside you. So, my talk today is not on suicide. It is on whether in our liturgy and spiritual formation, the way we worship God, the way we grow in our Christian faith, do we have space for us to process our negative experiences? And so through the Psalms of Lament, we have talked about praying in tears, praying in despair, praying in anger. And last week, you talked about praying in anger, right? The imprecatory Psalms. And someone said, wow, this week something happened. I was wondering, should I curse those people? I was thinking, you know, <laughs> imprecatory Psalms are very, very few. You know, we don't have to do it. But this week is even worse, you know, this Psalms of darkness. I think there's only one or two Psalms that end like that, totally without hope. Psalm 88, we'll look at Psalm 88 and look at the three aspects of praying in darkness. Now we have said, right, maybe from Monday to Saturday, you know, you're already very stressed, a lot of problems. And you come to church to worship, you want to hear something uplifting. Why you go and preach this sort of things, you know? And I've shared with you also, right? Because we believe God is good, God answers our prayers, God provides. I've experienced it myself many times. But I don't just want to give you good things, I want to give you the best things. Best things is when your whole world around you crumbles you can still stand firm on your faith because your faith is built upon the Word of God. So Psalm 88, we'll look at three aspects of praying in darkness. First, who wrote this psalm? The superscript of the psalm, a maskil, a contemplative song of Hermann the Ezraite. Who is Hermann? In Chronicles, under Solomon, King Solomon, Hermann was listed as one of the wise men. And his father, King David appointed Hermann as one of the Levites in charge of temple worship, which means this is a person who took his faith seriously. He served God. He loved God, and yet he struggled. You know, sometimes we think people who are struggling in their faith, it must be they have no faith. It must be they don't treat their faith seriously. That's why they struggle. But we see Hermann and we realize that's not true. It is because we take our faith seriously we believe God is good and God is loving. That is why we struggle. 
What did Herman struggle about? Look at whole psalm. There are three places he mentioned darkness. In fact, he in deliberately ends the psalm with the word darkness. He struggles with darkness. And three times he says, I cried out, I called upon, I cried out. Who did he cry out to? Yahweh. The word Lord, L-O-R-D in capital letters, means the personal name of God, Yahweh. Remember when God sent Moses to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. Moses asked him, God, if the people ask me who sent me, how should I answer? And God said, tell them Yahweh sent you. He didn't use the general term for God, Elohim, but used his personal covenantal name. Because when we are struggling, friends, we have a lot of questions, but what we need is not answers. What we need is to know that God has not forgotten us, nor forsaken us. He draws us near. And so based on these three repetitive phrases, we divide this psalm into three aspects of prayer in darkness. That is life without light, death without hope, questions without answers. Life without light. O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. Let my my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. To incline your ear is to cup your ears, you know, carefully listen to me. He cries out to God, carefully listen to my prayers. For my soul has had enough troubles. My life has drawn near to Sheol. Sheol is like hell, death. I'm reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I become like a man without strength. Now he's not dead yet, he's still alive. Since I had enough troubles. Forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more. And they are cut off from your hand. You put me in the lowest pit, in the dark places, in the depths. Your wrath has rested upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. Notice verse 6. The lowest pit, dark places, depths. They're all the same thing, right? Describing darkness. And who put him there? Was it himself? Was it his enemies? It was God. He says, you, God, put me here. In total darkness, I'm overwhelmed by your tr- your wrath like waves. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have made me a sub- an object of loathing to them. I'm shut up and cannot go out. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. I've called upon you every day, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. He feels isolated, in despair, alone, fearful. He cannot go outside for some reason. He has some affliction to his eyes or he's crying until he has, his eyes is wasted away. We don't know the exact situation. Intentionally, I think, left for us so that all of us who are in such darkness can relate. But notice, this was not a personal lament. He was not just crying out for himself. This is a part of the Psalter which they use for worship in the temple. It was a communal lament. So the question for us is, do we have such a community that gives us the space to cry out to God, to lament to God? In our liturgy, which is the way we worship, in our spiritual formation, the way we grow in our faith, do we have such space to lament to God? Margaret Feinberg, she wrote a book called Fight for Joy. And just before she published the book, she discovered that she had cancer, breast cancer. 
So for the next 18 months, she struggled in darkness. At the end of it, she said, she said I realized you know, we are not so good at comforting people. From my own experience and many testimonies from others, whenever we face a crisis, some, sometimes the people around us start to disappear. We are supposed to be like the Good Samaritan, right? To get off the donkey, to cross the road, to go down to the ditch and break the silence. But in reality, most of us respond like the, the Levite or the priest. We cross the road on the other side, try to siam. Why? Well, because we're afraid. We don't know what to say. We may say the wrong things. We may feel like, you know, uh, I'm not in the right place to give advice. It's been so long since I've reached out. If I reach out now, it'll be so awkward. And Feinberg said she understands because she said, I've been there. But what we need is to give the gift of presence. What's the gift of presence? She says, well, be present. Visit, a phone call, a cup of tea. Just be there and, and, and you don't have to say anything. There may be a time for encouragement. There may be a time for rebuke. But maybe this is not the time. Be slow to speak. Be there just to listen, to love, to laugh. And be ready to do it for the long term. Because grief does not end when the divorce papers are signed. When the funeral is done, when the chemotherapy is finished, grief continues. Right? Sometimes we journey with somebody and after one week, you say, oh, you're still crying. After one month, one year, two years, three years, you're still like that. Ah. But it's for the long term. And at times, we don't have answers. We are just equally as perplexed. Why did this happen? I think that is when we need to go back to the Word of God. The Apostle says, Apostle Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. Since the suffering now is not worthy to be compared to what will happen in future. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For we know the whole creation groans, suffers the birth pains of childbirth together until now. Not only this, but we also, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within us, waiting eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of the body. He's saying, he's saying we are groaning for the ultimate redemption. Sometimes because of your job's pressure, a loss of a loved one's. Sometimes you don't even know why. You know, you feel despair. That is us groaning. Groaning for something more. Groaning for something better. Gro groaning for eternity. Because if you don't groan, everything is so good. What do we have to look, up, look forward to? But we live in a broken world, friends, a sinful world, and that is why we have inexplicable sufferings, unanswerable questions. And we are, it's not just us groaning, you know. The Bible says whole creation is groaning. How? Well, look, a tsunami, earthquake. Every day now you step out of your house, you know it's groaning, okay? Global warming. Oh, so hot. Global warming, got one, one degree. We press our, our, our air con, go down two degree. Then the world groans even more. Whole creation is groaning. We are longing for something better. And that is why we struggle with life without light. But also death without hope. The psalmist, Herman continues, he says, I've called out to you, O Lord. I've spread out my hands to you. Will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed rise and praise you? He said, die already. 
Will you still perform miracle? Die already, will they rise up? Will your love and kindness be declared in the grave? Will your faithfulness in Abaddon? Abaddon is hell or Sheol, darkness. Will your wonders be made known in the darkness and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? See, all these are synonyms, right? Land of darkness, uh, land of forgetfulness, darkness, grave. He's saying, after death. See, after death, still can experience your goodness, your righteousness, your loving kindness, man? These are all rhetorical questions. What answer was he expecting? Yes or no? No lah. He's saying no. He's saying that, God, don't wait until I die, then save me, you know. Save me now. You wait until I die, what's the point? You want to wait until I die, then show your faithfulness, then your loving kindness, right? That, that's what he's saying. Now, let me ask you, is, is this theologically correct? Of course not. We can still experience the loving kindness of God in death because we will be with him in the grave because there's a resurrected life. You think Herman doesn't know? Of course he does. What I'm saying is that, I mean, this is a man who leads worship in the temple, a man of God. He knows the theological answers, but in pain, he cries out differently. It doesn't matter what he knows, he's crying out, God, why? Why is this happening? And so scripture tells us, it says, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange things were happening. Peter tells the believers at that time, don't be surprised with suffering. Why must he say that? I guess because they were surprised. Maybe some of them naively believe, no, I'll be a Christian, my life will be great. There's no problems. And so when you face problem, you not only struggle with the problem, you struggle with struggling. Right? You struggle with the problem. Why like that? Then we keep asking, why like that? And then we struggle even more. He says, don't be surprised. Prepare yourselves that this will happen. In my pastor's voice, I shared about John Feinberg, the theologian. As a student, he read this statement for Elvin Plantinga, who is a Christian philosopher. Plantinga said, In the presence of suffering, the believer in God may find it difficult to maintain what he takes to be the proper attitude toward God. Faced with great personal suffering, or misfortune, he may be tempted to rebel against God, to shake his fist in God's face, or even to give up belief in God altogether. Such a problem calls not for philosophical enlightenment, but for pastoral care. Since we may know all the answers, but we go through suffering, we are tempted to rebel against God. What we need is not answers, it's not enlightenment, it's care of the heart. The greatest distance is between here and here, what you believe and what you act out. And Feinberg said, as a student in seminary, he didn't quite get this, you know. He thought, as long as I know the answers, I can deal with it. And so when I, some people around me, they struggle, I was a little impatient with them. I thought, don't you know what the Bible promised? Why are you still struggling? Then he himself went through that problem, right? His wife gradually became paralyzed and gradually lost her mind. And because it's genetic, all his kids have the same problem. And those symptoms only come when they're th about 30 years old. And so he said he was devastated. He finally understood what Plantinga was saying. And says, God has total power and authority over me. He says, I have no right to drag God in the courtroom and judge him. But I felt God had somehow misled me, even tricked me. I had all the intellectual answers, 
but none of them made any difference in how I felt. You know, his doctoral dissertation, you know what he wrote on? The suffering of Job. I mean, anybody knows all the answers to the suffering, I think he knows. But he said there's no, made no difference to him about how he felt. His friends said, you know, everybody die also what? Just that in your case, you know it beforehand, know why. Some says, you know, wow, I suffer a lot also. Why? So that they can tell him that I also understand. And Feinberg clearly says, he says, actually what helps me is not that you know what I'm going through, but that you care. The same discovery that Margaret Feinberg found out. They're also Feinberg, okay, but they're not related. Right? The gift of presence, just be there. So we ask this question in our liturgy, do we have space for that? In our spiritual formation, do we have space for these experiences? We encourage you to come 10 minutes before worship, right? To sit in silence, to listen to the Word of God read. After worship, we have a time of meditative prayer and encourage you to come forward to be prayed for. Now these are part of our liturgy, the way we worship to give us space so that you can process whatever God is telling you, whatever you're facing. You know, spiritual formation, you know, small group or DG materials based on sermons, we make sure we pray for each other. We share what we are going through. We encourage you to take solitude times once a month, once in a while, to be just be with God. In our daily quiet times, these are part of the rhythms of our spiritual formation built in so that we can deal with what is going on under the surface, what is going on in our hearts. So we ask ourselves, you know, are we like the people that Feinberg mentions when we comfort others? Wow, so long already, can you like have faith? You must believe. You know, God wants to bless you. Do we give people space to lament? We face life without light, death without hope, and finally questions without answers. He asks a series of questions. He says, God, I have cried out to you for help. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Oh Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? He says, God, you heard my prayers. My prayer came before you, but why? Why aren't you doing anything? Why are you hiding yourself? He doesn't know, and so he says, I was afflicted and about to die from my youth on. A bit drama. I say, oh, since my youth, I've been suffering. You know? I suffer your terrors. I'm overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encompassed me all together. Basically, he's just surrounded by God's terrors and anger. And he ends the psalm like this. He says, You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. The last phrase in Hebrew, Hebrew reads from right to left, is friend intimate is darkness. He intentionally put the word mashak, darkness, at the end so that the whole psalm ends like that. And so, different, how we, depending on how you translate it, but NIV says, darkness is my closest friend. The message is, the only friend I have left is darkness. He tries to be more faithful to the structure of the text by putting darkness at the end. So, what is that guy struggling with? Darkness. And he ends the psalm like that. You know, and we read and say, wow, what kind of psalm is this, you know? Usually read the psalm at the end, we'll praise God, thank God, I hope in God. This one, no, you know, it just ends. It ends very emo He said, my best friend is darkness. Who is your best friend? 
We will say Jesus, right? He said darkness. You know, when I read this, I'm reminded that sometimes darkness persists. Sometimes we wish, you know, we pray and then God answers. We journey with somebody and then after a while they get better. But sometimes they don't. Darkness persists. But darkness gives us an opportunity to do something we cannot do when life is going well. That is to worship God for who He is. Let me explain. You know, sometimes we worship God because we're thankful. We look at things around us, God has blessed us. We see God's hands. We are grateful. We worship God. That is why we worship God, because He has given us all these things. But in darkness, when we have nothing, we still choose to worship God because God is God. Darkness gives us the greatest opportunity to live out victorious faith. Again, what's victorious faith? When God answers our prayers, when we see miracles? No, when there's no miracles, there's no answer to prayer, and yet we choose to put our faith in God. In darkness, we have an opportunity to worship God because He deserves it. Feinberg, Margaret Feinberg, the one who wrote the book of, about joy, she says, In my own spiritual life, I have been studying joy for a year and was putting the finishing touches on the book on joy just two weeks from turning it to, into the publisher when I received the diagnosis. I've been pursuing and activating joy in my life in a relatively good times. Now I had to do it in the midst of darkness, depression, torturous pain. Through the process, I began discovering the breadth, the depth, and power of joy. That despite hundreds of sermons and many decades in church, no one had told me of before. I learned that more than whimsy, joy is a weapon we use to fight life's battle. What she's saying is, if you wait till your life is perfect, everything is like according to what you want, then you are happy or you're joyful, you will never be joyful. Joy is a choice. Joy is a choice, a weapon to fight darkness. We choose to see light in the darkness. Gregory of Nicaea, the great Cappadocian father, he says, he calls this luminous darkness. Darkness that is illuminated. Joy is a choice that in silence, we hear God clearly. That is why the psalmist, Psalm 62, says, For God alone, my soul waits in silence, and it is in silence he sees God comes for my salvation. My salvation is from God. It's, he hears God clearly because there's no clutter, nothing else but God. Martin Scorsese, he directed a film in 2016 called Silence. It is about some Jesuits, uh, missionaries in the 17th century going to Japan. And they suffered tremendously. Okay, if I watch the movie, it's like, wow, I shouldn't have watched it. Spoil my mood. It's just suffering, you know. Many people gave up, left, and this poor guy was left alone. And then there's this one segment, there's just a voiceover. Father Rodriguez says, Lord, I fought against your silence. Jesus says, I suffered beside you. I was never silent. But even if God had been silent my whole life to this very day, everything I do, everything I've done speaks of Him. It was in the silence 
that I heard your voice. It is in darkness that we see the light of God because Christ is light of the world. It is in silence that we hear his voice because he was a God who created nothing, everything out of nothing. He spoke and there was. How do we know that we have this evidence of God's love for us? I think ultimately we turn back to the gospel. You see, Herman went through all these things. Ended up, he, write, he wrote Psalm 88, of course, inspired by God. Left for us for 3,000 years. Until today, we are still reading it. it. Reminds us of what Paul tells us in Romans 8. He says, all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. What is this goodness? Goes on to tell us so that we become more Christ-like to the glory of God. And he ends the whole segment with this. But in all things, we are overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is my all-time favourite verse. Nothing can separate us from the love of God because of Jesus, even our own sins. Jesus is the ultimate psalmist. He demonstrated that upon the cross. Last four weeks, we see the psalmist suffered injustice, pain, despair, abandonment, darkness. Well, Jesus faced the ultimate one for us. On the cross, when he was unjustly treated, he did not curse them. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. On the cross, something happened or something happened that has never happened before in eternity past and eternity future. God the Father and God the Son, there was a barrier between them and Jesus faced darkness. That is why He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forgotten me? And at the end, you remember what Jesus said? What He did? Not just it is finished, that was the last thing He said, but the last thing He did before He died, He, ah! he cried out. I've always found it very interesting. The Bible would describe Jesus groaning, oh, weeping and crying. Why? Have you ever wondered? I think the Jesus, the groaning of Jesus, it brings out his humanity. It's the clearest evidence of the humanity of Christ. See, Jesus is fully God. That is why he can die for us. I cannot die for you because I'm a sinner. Jesus is perfect. His death is enough to cover for our sins. We are accepted by God, not because of our morality, not because of our goodness, but because of what Jesus has done. Because He's fully God, He's able to do that. But equally important is that He's fully man. The hypostatic union of Christ, fully God and fully man. And we see that when He groaned. And the last thing He did on the cross, He just cried out. Jesus groans with us. So Tim Keller, who went home to the Lord this week, he said, in this age of glorious arrays and distressing not yet, we live in the already and not yet, meaning we are already saved, but not yet, we are still waiting for the final salvation. We live in this broken world. In this age of glorious arrays and distressing not yet, we groan, inevitably and even virtuously. And not only do we groan like our Lord, but we marvel that He groaned for us. Jared Wilson, on his funeral, 
His senior pastor said this. He says, One dark moment in a believer's life cannot overturn the work of Christ on the cross. As believers, we live based on promises and not speculations or explanations. We know what we can fall back on. We have many questions why it happened, how it happened. Many un- questions trying to ask for explanations, but ultimately, we live on promises. And this is what we know. Jared placed his faith in Jesus Christ. And Jared is with Christ now. You know, friends, in our darkness, we have many questions. But what we need is to hold on to promises. Don't speculate. This we know that in darkness, God is still sovereign. This we know in darkness, God is still loving. And we know this because of that thing behind me, because on the cross, Jesus died, gave His life, and reconciled us to the Father. That gives us ultimate hope. We've come to the end of the Psalms of Lament. Thankfully, I don't have to use my black face anymore. There'll be a time when we can praise God. There'll be a time when we can worship God and give thanks. But this is not the time. Today, there'll be no response song. We will just sit in darkness and silence. Don't leave your seat in case you stumble and fall. Wait till Pastor Leonard comes up and reads Psalm 89 to us. Because after 88 comes 89. Because darkness is not the last scene. Because silence will not get the last word.
do not just sit, only sit in darkness, but pray in darkness. Perhaps some of us are experiencing loss or have experienced loss or grief. Bring it to the Lord. Loss of a relationship, loss of health, loss of job, financial instability, miscarriage, retirement, death of a pet, loss of a cherished dream, a loved one's serious illness, loss of a friendship, loss of safety after a trauma or even selling your family home. Commit it to the Lord, and once you are ready, stand on your feet, and I will close in prayer. Psalms 89, verse 1, reads, I will sing of the loving, kind, loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations, I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. Father God, we thank you. That in our life, there may be times of darkness, but darkness is not forever. Because your light is more powerful than darkness. So Lord, in our difficulties, in our struggles, we thank you that we can look to the cross and your cross leads home. Thank you for your love for us. Receive the benediction. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, even darkness, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. And God's people say, Amen. Please be seated. Spend some time in silent meditation. Service is concluded. If you'd like to pray, the pastors, please come forward. We'll be happy to pray together with you. After a time of silent meditation, we'll have the church retreat briefing. God bless you.